Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. Thanks for visiting. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here, obviously, and one of the pastors. And um, I just would like to just start by saying that it is like in my mind's eye when I was really contemplating this idea of planting a church, you know, eight, ten years ago, when I had this thought that maybe God was calling me to do this, I never in my wildest imagination would have pictured this group of people together. I'll be honest with you that the fact that the Lord has brought all of you here for his own purposes, that he would bring you to this place. Like I could never have picked a church so great as this one is what I'm trying to say. I mean, here's a real thing. There are people in this room who are um, profoundly more wise and intelligent than me. Say amen. Right now, try pastoring those people. Try standing up in my place every week and try to tell them something, preach something to them that they don't know. Try to try to fake it on a Sunday when those people are out there going, mm-mm. <laughs> I have a very dear friend of mine who lovingly sends me emails um, most weeks about something I said that I think it should have been said better. I think it could have been, you know, I think you missed it in this. And I'm telling you, that stuff is so great. So I'm saying all these things like, I'm proud to pastor you. I'm, I'm proud to be used by God to help you in whatever way God would want you to be helped. And, and I pray that God would use me in that regard. Um, and then conversely, I pray that you guys help me and shepherd me and, and lead me in, in, if I drift into error or something, right? You can send all of those comments to joe at rendicator.org. <laughs> He'll filter through them and then give me the important ones. So, but anyways, um, pastoring a church is a unique thing. This wasn't my first vocation. I worked uh, in the secular world for 23 years before I did this, and I learned a lot. I know a pastor in church, it involves um, a lot of things that are a little different than I would normally do. I get invited into the ceremony of life, and by ceremony of life, I mean this. like When young people are considering marriage or when they're considering... Um, you know, something like that. I, I get invited to come into those weddings. I get to pre-marriage counsel with some of the young couples. I get to officiate weddings, which is a real cool thing. Has anybody ever had an opportunity to officiate a wedding? It's a blast. Now, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. When I first started pastoring, I didn't like weddings a lot, and here's why. Um, I always thought that the wedding was going to come crashing down um, because of me. Like you always see those pictures of people like fainting or those videos of people fainting in a wedding. And it's usually like a best man or a groomsman. I always thought it would be me, the officiant that's fainting in the video. I mean, these girls oftentimes think of their wedding like since they're younger. And here they are, grown women, the day of their life right here. And then I screw it up. That's my big fear, right? So I didn't want to do that. And so weddings used to just freak me out. It used to just make me nervous. I didn't want to mess them up. But lately I've come to love weddings. In fact, I did a wedding a 
couple weeks ago, and I, I have not had as much fun in a long time. But this is my favorite thing in a wedding. There's a moment when the bride and the groom are standing right here, and I, I've prepared a little something, right? A little something to, to share over their lives, and I'm preaching it. And somewhere in the middle of that, the reality of them getting married settles onto them. Like through all of the prep and the loss of sleep and all kinds of crazy that's been going on into the wedding, there's like a 20-minute ordeal that I'm standing there, and they are captive audiences, and I'm talking to them about the realness of marriage, submitting to each other, loving one another, whether you feel it or not. Say amen. Yes? And all of a sudden, they go, ruh-roh. What? <laughs> they freak out, and I love it. It's my absolute most favorite thing. I giggle on the inside. <laughs> one of the other things that I get to enter into in people's lives is the, the, the wonderful opportunity to officiate or to preach at a, a someone's funeral. Um, over the last seven, eight years, I've preached many funerals. I've preached funerals for my own family members, grandmothers, aunts, cousins. I've preached funerals for some of my, my bros, like people I really know, people I used to run with. Like I didn't need to have someone tell me their middle name. I know them, right? I've been able to do I've also preached funerals for people that I didn't know at all. I just take a phone call. Hey, this has happened. Um, someone's son just passed away. Suddenly, can you come and meet with them? Can you do the funeral? And, and I'm talking, this is a little crazy. You're, you're meeting with a family, and you're trying to get to know the person so that you could stand up and like encourage everyone that would come to the, the funeral. It's, it's a weird place to be in. And I've been in funerals where people have been... Um, that has a, almost a celebratory theme. Have you ever been to a funeral where someone has passed, they're a little older, and everyone's just rejoicing? I've been to funerals where they, they sang worship songs. Anybody been to one of those? Where they're rejoicing in the, the work that God has done in their life, and I'm going, man, this is nuts. And then I've been to other funerals where people just weep and weep and weep. But regardless of whatever type of funeral I've been involved in, I've, I've seen this one constant in all of them. There's always sadness and sorrow. We might rejoice. The Bible does tell us that we, we do not mourn as those who have no hope, right? We believe as Christians that there is a hope beyond this place. We'll get to that in a minute. But even with the hope, there's still a sadness and a lament over people's lives when they're at a funeral mourning the loss of a beloved one. And I think that points to a reality that the Bible would be quick to teach us if we'd, if we'd listen to it. That... Death is not supposed to be here. Did you know that? That at every funeral, when we mourn and, 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 and have sadness and sorrow, it almost comes from the wellspring of our very created being. It's pointing to this reality that death was never God's intent. It was never God's plan. We go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything, calls it good. God creates mankind, breathes into mankind the pneuma spirit of God himself, giving us life. He never intended us to decay and to die, ever. It's only after sin and disobedience entered the world does the universe experience death for the first time. And if you didn't know that, you must understand that the way we live now is not how God intended us to live. Death is not supposed to be here. Talking about death is not the best way to maybe start a sermon. <laughs> if you're visiting, apologies. But I have to be honest with you. I think we need to maybe pay attention to that today. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to consider it for a moment. If you knew you only had 
a few weeks or months or even years to live, how would you live your life? Would you change some of the things that you do? I mean, how, how would you do that? I mean, I think the answer would be yes. I think we'd find quickly that the things we deem to be important actually are not important. The bucket list of our life that we hope to maybe accomplish before our demise becomes shorter and more intense, yes? Peter, the, the Apostle Peter, we're going to be reading in 2 Peter today. If you have a, a Bible with you, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, and um, we'll read verses 12 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, real quick, there's one underneath the seat close to you. You can turn to page 1018. We will put the words on the screen if you don't want to flip through a Bible. But you can turn there. We'll be there in a minute. But the, the Apostle Peter had this, he had this understanding of his demise, maybe even more so than you and I. See, Peter, if you know the story of Peter, he was one of Jesus' friends and disciples, we would say. And he was with Jesus for many years while he did ministry on the earth. And there's this, this moment at the end of Jesus' ministry here, right before he's arrested, Peter is braggardly telling Jesus that um, all of these other people will fall away from you. All of these other people won't serve you as hard as I do, Jesus. I will serve you and I will never leave you. And if you know the story, the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter ran from those people who arrested Jesus. When they, when they confronted Peter and they said, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He was quick to say, no, 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 I didn't know him. No, no, I didn't run with him. No, no, no. He, he distanced himself from Jesus. Of course, we know Jesus was crucified, buried in a grave. On the third day, he raised from the dead. Someone say hallelujah, right? Amen to that, right? And anyways, so for the next 40-some days, Jesus spent time with his disciples and his friends. And one of these times is recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 21, where Peter and Jesus have this a reconnection. Jesus saw Peter deny him before he died. Jesus comes, fixes breakfast for all the people. He pulls Peter aside and says, can we talk for a minute? And he asks him this question. He says, do you love me? I love this. First notice that Jesus does not say, do you love what they're saying about me? Do you love the fact that I'm the Messiah who's come to establish God's kingdom on the earth? Do you love the fact that I've died for your sins? Do you love the fact all this stuff? No, no, he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And he says, well, then feed my lambs. Now, if you don't know what that means, it, Jesus didn't have like lambs running around. What he's referring to, what he's referring to is the, the church. What he's referring to are the, the believers, the, the Christians, the people that would have faith in Christ and become followers of his. And he's establishing Peter as a leader and a teacher of these people. And he says, lambs are little baby sheep. And he says, teach them. Do you love me? A second time. Yes, you know that I love you. Right? Then he says, then, then tend my sheep. A third time. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Time and time again. He's giving Peter this call for his life. And after reinstating Peter, even though he had sort of pushed him aside, even though he denounced his knowing Jesus, Jesus invites him back into his inner circle. And then he says these words to Peter about his death. So strange. Before Jesus is to ascend back to heaven, he wants Peter to understand something about his death. So even though it sounds strange that I would begin a sermon talking about death, it's not uncommon for the Lord to use um, such topics to awaken people in the room. 
He used it to awaken Peter, I assure you. So with your thumb still in 2 Peter, you say there, I'm going to read something out of John's gospel in John chapter 21. Right after this discourse with Peter and Jesus, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. You had free reign, right? You could do what you wanted to do. But he says, there's coming a day when you are old that you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's weird. What does that mean? Well, John gives us this little parenthetical insight in verse 19. This he said, Jesus said, to show Peter by what kind of death that he was to glorify God. And then after saying all of these things to him, he said, well, then follow me. So let me break that down for us just real quick. So he establishes Peter as a leader in the church, a teacher in the church. You're going to do this. And he says, you're going to do these things because you love me. Yes. And Peter says, amen. Let's go, Jesus. I love it. I'm on board. Let's, ha- let's make it happen. And he says, oh, and by the way, before you really commit, there's something I want to tell you. There's going to come a day when you're older and people are going to grab you. And he says they're going to outstretch your arms. He's talking about crucifixion, just so you know. That Peter will be crucified just like Christ was crucified. And he will be crucified not because he's a criminal, but because he serves Jesus Christ. And he says, are you okay with this? And if you are, he says, follow me. Like things are not going to go well for you, bro. Do you want this or not? Because if you do, follow me. Which I sort of giggle at because this is a throat punch to the prosperity gospel. Has anyone ever heard of the prosperity gospel? Let me break it down for you as, as best I can. It sounds like this, that the God, the creator of the universe, is somehow obligated to give you great things. That somehow when you pray enough, when you fast enough, when you give enough, when you attend church enough, on and on it goes. That, and if you rub the magic lamp enough, that somehow God will bless you and give you great things. Make your life wonderful and amazing. Don't mishear me. I believe God wants to give you great and amazing things, but there are times when it costs you. Jesus says, if you follow me, it will cost you your life. Are you in? I wish we preached that in the church. I wish we preached that. Unfortunately, this doctrine of the prosperity thing, and I'll get off the soapbox in a minute, but it's like, it's like a barnacle that attached itself to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and made it into something else. And it cheapens it. And to be frank, it prostitutes it. And and there are other things that attach itself to the gospel as well. Things like legalism and religion and all of this stuff attached itself. Last week, if you were here, Peter was talking to the Christians there that, that we are all the same in Christ. The righteousness we have is not from our own work, but from Christ alone. We are on equal standing in the eyes of God through Christ Jesus. Just say amen, I'll move on. Yes. And he calls them to this message. Feed my lambs, teach my sheep, and it'll cost you your life. For the next 25, 30 years, Peter does this. He says yes and amen to this. He's willing to do it. And we end up at this story in 2 Peter chapter 1. Don't want to lose that. (laughs) 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I'll read through 15. The word's here on the screen. 
Peter's writing to Christians, and he says these words, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Verse 13, But I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ had made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things that I have said to you. So this is the culmination of Peter's life. It's landed in this idea. Um, I want to pray for us just so we can... Um, I don't know what this was. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> So like hocus pocus. That's not what we do here. We don't do that here. Um, I want us to be awakened. I was chatting with someone after the last service, and I, she was, uh, we're in, here's my intro. Intro, death. That's how I start. And she goes, I just found it so weird that you would open with death. And I agree, it feels weird. Except I think God wants us to, to be uh, faced with that reality for us. So I'm just going to pray for us. All right. God, open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear um, the imminency of our demise, tr truly. That because of sin, um, we are all headed towards this eventual reality called death. But God, may it not be wasted upon us. May it be used to uh, push us forward into the things of Christ, into the glory of God. May you use that knowledge to springboard us into that which you would have for our lives. God, I pray in the power of your son Jesus and in his name that you would help us today. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find it interesting as he's writing this letter to the Christians here with his, with his days waning, and he knows it's coming soon. We'll get to that in a minute. His desire is to just remind people of things. He says, I just want to remind you of some things um, that you should already know. And he says this in verse 12. I want to remind you of these qualities, though you know them already, and you're already established in the truth that you have. It's interesting that Peter, again, commissioned by Jesus himself, has made his ministry one of remembrance, one of reminding people. I think of teachers of teaching people things that they need to know, not reminding them of things that they already should know. And yet I know that in the, the busyness of life, the stresses of life, you and I, we learn things, but they leak out of us for some reason. Or, as I mentioned earlier, other things get attached to the things that we know, and it's no longer that thing that we know. It's something else altogether. And so Peter comes before them and says, listen, you need to be reminded of something, the, the, the perfectness of the gospel of Jesus, the truth that is found in Christ. Not long after this letter was written, false teachers have made their way into the church. And they, what do they do? They begin to teach a false Jesus. That's what they do. And Peter stands in his ministry to remind people of things. Jesus Christ, when he brought, when he ushered in the new covenant and that last supper moment where he broke the bread and said, this is my body, right, broken for you, drink this wine, this cup, which is a picture of my blood poured out for you. When he did all of those things with his disciples, what does he follow it up with? And do all of these things in what? Remembrance of me. He knows we forget this stuff. Yeah, we take communion once a month. I don't know if we shouldn't do it every Sunday. 
Because there are days we come in, we've just added to the gospel, added to our righteousness, some works that we do, and I'm going, ugh. Jesus is like, let me, let me help you out. Every month, do this in remembrance of me. My body, my blood, drop the mic, walk out of the room. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. But we need reminded. Um, my daughter's in the room. I won't point them out. But anyways... <laughs> My oldest is prepping for the ACTs, right? And um, we just spent a bunch of money on a prep course and flashcards and stuff. And I'm looking through these flashcards, and I'm like, shouldn't you know this already? <laughs> like, and, and that's the truth. The answer is yes. She does know these things already. The flashcards are just to help her remember these things. So before she goes and takes the test, it's fresh in her memory again. That's Peter's ministry. Can I be honest with you? I think that's our ministry too. If you come to Renaissance long, you'll know that we preach the same message again and again and again and again. And I'm okay with that. In fact, if you were to say that, Jeff, you only have one message, I would not be offended. I wouldn't be offended at all. Does anyone know who Eugene Peterson is? Eugene Peterson wrote the translation of the Bible called The Message. Eugene Peterson passed away a couple weeks ago or maybe last week, I don't even know. And Dr. Russell Moore, who's one of my favorite Bible teachers, wrote this wonderful eulogy about him in Christianity Today, and he says this, of all the things that Pastor Eugene Peterson was, he was a man with one message. He literally preached that one message the entirety of his decades of serving Christ. Peter stands before them, don't construe this to be anything other than it's not. It is Christ crucified. Peter um, Paul the Apostle said the same thing. I teach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's the gospel. We will not waver from that. Are we okay? So anyways, so that's what Peter's trying to do. Remind them of the things that they know, but will one day sort of sn or slip out of their memories. And he comes back here in verse 13 and says these words. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, he says, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as Jesus had said. I love how Peter doesn't say, while I'm still alive. Do you hear the distinction? I'll push on it a little bit. Peter does not say, hey, while I'm still alive, I want to remind you of some things. He doesn't say that. He says, while I'm still in this body which points to a reality for us that I think would uh, benefit us all to understand. That through Christ Jesus, we have the hope of eternal life forever and ever and ever. What Peter's pointing to is that this body that we're in is, is just temporary. In fact, the Greek word that's translated here as body, it has at its root the word for tent or tabernacle. Does anybody know what a tabernacle is besides Joe? Right? It's just a fancy church word for tent is all it is. And, and here's what we understand about this tent of our bodies. It grows old at some point. It grows weak at some point. It gets damaged at one point. You know what the greatest damage for the tent of our body is? Sin. The world around us just destroys our bodies. Sickness comes in and destroys our bodies. Our tents begin to lean our tents begin to look beat up. Our tents begin to leak. I get up like three times a night to keep my tent from leaking. <laughs> <laughs> 
Say amen, Bart. That's a thing. <laughs> it didn't used to be a thing. It's a thing. You wait. It's a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. It's a thing. And Paul uses this language and he says, you know, we're in this earthly dwelling, this tent, and we look forward to the day when Christ removes this tent from us and moves us into a building that he's constructed with his hands. That our life in Christ, Peter understands it, and we need to get it too. This is not all there is. If you... If, <laughs> If you believe you can have your best life now, you've been sold a bill of goods. Wink, wink. We are moving fastly, imminently towards our demise. Peter knew it, and he didn't waste his time. He used it to do ministry. He used it to help other people. He did it to remind others. So I was thinking about revival this past week, which is weird, right? Who thinks of revivals? Anybody ever go to revivals maybe when you're younger or something? I, okay, here's what I used to think about revivals. Well, here's what I think about revival even now. Um, when I think of reviving something, I think of something that's dead and and you revive it back to life, right? And so when I think of Christian revivals, I always had in my mind that it's a place where a guy would come in, maybe set up a big tent or do something at the park or whatever. They'd bring in an evangelist and a band. Yes, a band. They'd bring a band in. And the guy would preach to a bunch of unsaved people in the room. And they would give their lives to Jesus. We'd revive them to life. And we'd move on to the next town. But when I became a Christian, I actually went to a revival. And you know what they're not? They're not filled with non-believers, <laughs> They're filled with Christians. And you people invite me to the revivals that you've been going to. And I thought, that's the strangest thing ever. Why would we, the, the, the ones who are already alive, need to go to a revival to be revived? And then it hits me. Because we too need reminded. We too need to go back to the, the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. We too need to have those barnacles of false doctrine and legalism and religiousness stripped off of us as well. Timothy Keller, he planted a church in Manhattan called Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He said this about revival. He says, revival happens when people who think they have the gospel already figured out come to realize that they in fact do not. And when they hear the truth for the first time and or again is all he's saying, then the person is led to repentance and wait for it. And this repentance then leads them to change. That's revival. So should revival still be happening on the earth today? Yes. Should we have revival here next week? Yes. Should we have revival all the time? Yes. And should unsaved people and Christians be in the same place? Yes. Of course. Peter wastes his life on this message. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Um, Joe and I were discussing in my office this week this sort of idea, this topic about how many days we think we have left. <laughs> Joe, he's so stupid. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. No, Joe says, Joe says uh, I've got 40 years left in me. And I said, I, 41, 40, 40 good years. Oh, I forgot. Yes. 40. And I, I agree with that. I think he might, or he might not. He might not. 
I went to a funeral for a friend of mine who passed away this um, past summer. Listen, guys, he did not know he wasn't going home to sleep in his bed that night. Like, it happens. Like this, it's like over in an instant, it happens. And you know what bothers us the most when that happens is we look at that and we go, it seems unfair because there were probably so many things that he wanted to get done in his life. Or better yet, we walk around with regret and remorse thinking, man, I should have taken his call last week. When we set up lunch and I canceled last minute, like I always do, wink, wink. I, like, when I did that, I wish I wouldn't have done that. So, Joe, I love you. You might have 40 years. You might have 40 days. We don't know. Peter had this revelation from Christ himself that says, when you are old, but none of us have that word from the Lord. We do not know. Jesus gives that message to Peter, and for the next 25 or 30 years, he walks around with this. He says, I will not waste my life. I will not waste my life. I will not waste my life. I will use my life for Christ's glory. And then around 64 AD, Rome began to burn. You guys know the story. In AD 64, Rome caught fire, the capital of the Roman Empire. And it burned for six straight days before they could finally get it under control. And after they got it under control and looked at the devastation that had, it had come to the city, most of the city was lost. The emperor, Nero, began to blame Christians for the fire. You guys know the story. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. This is a real story that happened. Some even think that maybe Nero started the fire himself just to blame Christians for it. Doesn't matter. Just know this, that not only did the Roman authority blame Christians, but everyone who lost something in Rome began to blame Christians. Scholars agree that Peter was writing this letter to Christians from Rome. And he says these words in verse 14. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He begins to notice some things are changing in the culture around them. Persecution for the next 200 years just ramps up. They literally began impaling Christians and lighting them on fire to, to light as torches their parties in their backyards. It's the most disgusting thing. And Peter sees this happening. I know I'm leaving soon, but before I go, you must hear this. You must be reminded of the truth. Again, they already know it to be true. Maybe you're in this place going, what is he trying to say? I'm reminding you of what God has done for you. I'm reminding you of what your life can be. Last week we talked about uh, living a life for yourself instead of for God, and your life becomes unfruitful and unintentional and to no effect for God. You might do a bunch of great things. So what? How about you and I, and this is not a guilt thing, so... Lord, help. May we use our life for the Lord. That's all I'm saying. For the Lord. I'm a, a dad of two girls. I mentioned that earlier. You know, one of my desperate pleas is that I just get an opportunity to place before them this reality. Your father, me, I fail you all the time. I fail you all the time. But they have a heavenly father that will never fail you ever. He will always be faithful to you. When he tells you the truth, it will be the truth forever. He never changes his opinion about you. I don't do that sometimes. They have the greatest example of a heavenly father in what I'm not. And I pray that I get to get an opportunity just to preach this on repeat and remind them and remind them and remind them. 
And the same is true for all of us parents in the room. I don't care if your kids are big or little. Teach them the principles of Jesus. Teach them these things because it will leak out of their brains when they get to college. It'll leak out. It'll be pushed out. It'll leak out of their lives when they have kids of their own and um, the demon that is travel volleyball interrupts your house <laughs> and travel soccer and school sports. And oh my goodness, it will leak out of you. You will need reminded of it. He finishes in verse 15, this little thought. It's just a repeat. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things. That's my desire. He uses the word departure. The Greek word for departure is so good, is exodus. Exodus. I want you to picture this. If you know the story of Exodus, the original Exodus with Israel and Egypt, Israel was held in bondage by a wicked king Pharaoh in a country called Egypt, and they cried out for a deliverer. God sends Moses, Charlton Heston for some of you in the room, he sends Moses to rescue them out. And as they leave the nation of Egypt to make their way to the promised land, the Bible calls this an exodus. In fact, we have a book in our Old Testament called, guess what? Exodus. So know this, an exodus means this. It means you are leaving one thing. Corruption, slavery, death, sorrow, sadness, and you're going to arrive at something else. Peter uses this word specifically, and he says, after my departure, after my exodus, listen, after I strip myself of this earthly tent and I make it to where God lives forever and ever and ever, I'm hopeful that you'll be able to recall all the things that I've told you. Our lives in Christ can end the same way. The end of our lives here is not the end of our life. We leave one place to arrive somewhere else. Now, I do not have my doctrine or theology all worked out in this. I don't know what it looks like at, in the end. I admit this to you. So save yourself from sending me the email. Um, our bodies will go to a grave, but our spirits will live forever. God will take it wherever he takes it. And at some point, the Bible talks about this thing called the resurrection of the dead, where we will get a new body. I don't know what that looks like, but I believe this. It'll be a physical body. Because Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, he had a physical body, didn't he? He ate fish with his friends. And I hope to do the same thing, except replace the word fish with tacos. <laughs> I'm predictable. If I'm anything, I'm predictable. Just so you know, there is one way to ruin a taco. It's by putting fish in it. I'm just saying. <laughs> so whoever thought of that needs shot in the head. I'm just saying. That felt weird. <laughs> we don't murder people <laughs> for food. <laughs> so I just pray you're encouraged. Go before the Lord. We're going to bring the band back and we're going to sing a few more worship songs and we're going to declare the goodness of who he is and the, the truth of what he's done for us. And I just pray that you use this time to just really let God just strip away things that are unnecessary for you. They're unnecessary for your life. 
I remind you of the truth that you know, he says. And so just pray that God would remind us of what saved us in the first place, that the work that Christ has done for us. And, and don't let this added weight of trying to do more leak in. Um, you're already righteous in Christ. You know that. And we use that righteousness in Christ to serve him. We don't earn it from him. We serve him from it. So um, anyways, I'll close, Joe. Is that okay? And I'll, I'll pray for us. God, I thank you for our time again together. Uh, thank you for the uh, ministry of reminder. <laughs> May we be a people who reminds the people closest to us of what's available to them in Christ. May we be people to remind them that it's actually not hard to live this life with the Spirit's help. May we be people to remind them of all of the goodness that we have um, in Christ Jesus. May we use this time to remind ourselves that our days are in fact numbered here. God, may you use this time by the power of your spirit to remind us that we've been wasting time. And for that, God, we, we repent. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And God, we confess them to you right now. Lord, we, I, Jeff, have wasted time and God, I, I, I receive the forgiveness that has already been given to me in Christ Jesus. And I ask the power of the Holy Spirit to then equip me to move forward. And so the rest of my days will look a lot like Peter's with intention and purpose and with a love for people. God, I thank you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.